Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. Hello, I'm Chris Dolman, and today you will be hearing from experienced family violence practitioners and other leaders in the field to discuss the topic of family and domestic violence and child-aware practice. We will highlight a number of themes during this podcast. Uh, We'll be looking at the climate of fear that children live with in a context of family and domestic violence, the impact of family and domestic violence on children, including its impact on the mother-child relationship, some of the practice dilemmas that accompany conversations with mothers about their children's well-being in a context of family and domestic violence, and some ways of having conversations with mothers that respond to these dilemmas. This podcast is the first of two we will be presenting around this topic, because there's a lot to discuss and we're only just getting started. We're hearing first from Sarah Went, Professor of Social Work at Flinders University. I think when we're wanting to understand domestic and family violence and we have those core concepts of coercive control, intimidation, fear, power, um, one has to remember that children are also experiencing that. And so often what comes to mind for me is um, imagine yourself living in a climate of fear and what that does to yourself. And so think about children living in a climate of fear. And so that lens then gives us another way of looking at how domestic and family violence impacts on children. So how does it impact on their development? How does it impact on their social well-being? Um, How does it impact on their mental health? And so when you start to see children's behaviour, often we can jump to individual explanations. We can be quick to pathologise. We can be quick to say they're delayed. We can go to deficits very quickly. But what the domestic violence lens does, if you understand a climate of fear and what trauma does to children, it gives you a whole other lens of the environmental context in which children are living. And I think that environmental lens allows you to see things differently and it allows you as a practitioner to understand children's behaviour differently. And as soon as you centre the child, I think you can start to imagine or be curious about how that child sees the world. Kind of put yourself in the child's shoes to kind of gain that perspective. And so just by doing that simple thing, I think it allows practitioners to maybe actually work alongside a child instead of trying to do things on behalf of or over the top of. So it kind of maybe uh, diminishes some of that powerlessness or that kind of hierarchy in practice if you can put yourself in their shoes and walk alongside them. So I think by acknowledging the climate of fear enables you to see the world through a child's eyes. That was Sarah Went, emphasising the climate of fear that children experiencing family and domestic violence are living in. It seems an important place to start in understanding children's experience and in working with their parents. We also spoke with experienced practitioners from Uniting Communities Specialised Family Violence Service about some of their understandings of the impact of family and domestic violence on children's mental health and wellbeing. Here's Erin and Phil. Parents tell us so many things about how their children are being affected. So I've heard stories about how children will be uh, afraid to leave their mother, um, afraid to go to school, afraid to sleep alone at night, um, will have nightmares, will develop um, uh, feelings of anxiety and sadness. Their behaviour will be uh, different than it normally is. They might stop eating, they might start wetting the bed, they may cry or become irritable, they may appear uh, clingy. There's a whole range of things that parents tell us that they've noticed 
about their children that has them really concerned and sometimes they can relate it to family violence and sometimes they can't they're just noticing these changes in their children the impact it has on children is very disruptive it has them feeling unsafe and not secure and sometimes acting out at school their anxiety levels uh, can increase and they're just the things i notice when i'm when i'm inquiring into the impact of the violence on children what they're described by the parents usually the mother is kind of noticing these things and that's a dilemma for her because she's worried about that and wanting to protect these children from that violence um, which is often really difficult when men are exercising a lot of power and control so often the woman is just managing day to day to get through the day to manage her partner's behaviour in the best way she can and also to shield her children from that sometimes. For older children there's often um, attempts to protect the parent who's being is experiencing the violence and the cost to them of doing that, of, of almost becoming the parent for that parent and doing things like, you know, they might stay home and from school or, or, or feign illness so that they're there with the parent who's experiencing violence to possibly limit the effect of the presence of, of the partner on that day who might be home from work that day and so they make a decision to stay home from school and pretend they're sick so that there will be some sort of possibility of stopping violence that might happen that day if they weren't there. Or they, they're very distracted at school, they, they can't focus and they can often be so worried about what's going on that they're they're just kind of dreaming or looking out the window, or this is how some, some children describe it, or they're really, uh, they're not meeting their requirements for school, or they're slipping behind, they're falling behind in their school, or they're, you know, sometimes for young boys, um, when there's conflict, they'll lash out and emulate some of the violence that, that they might have seen from their fathers, even though they're, they actually talk about really hating the way their fathers do that. Erin and Phil's comments have me thinking about the importance of practitioners having an understanding of the impacts of family violence on children, and then drawing on this understanding when working with parents and children to be curious about the particular effects of the violence on each family they're meeting with. I've learnt many things from children directly in the way they speak of behaviours um, that they're okay with or not okay with, and I guess um, what I've realised is that children pick up on a lot. They're incredibly good at responding to their environment and good at connecting the dots and understanding what they're seeing. They may not fully understand what it is, but um, children very quickly seem to grasp the ideas of safety and fairness and what's okay and what's not. But they also have these complex kind of dilemmas of they love their parents, usually both of them, but they don't necessarily like all the behaviours they're experiencing or seeing at home or um, by their parent when they visit their new home. Their needs are significant and I guess it's you know pretty evident that their experience of exposure to abuse and um, harm is often just like being in it themselves. They take it on, they feel quite responsible sometimes for what's been going on. They somehow link themselves as implicit or complicit in it, even if they weren't directly the target. 
but they also are re really clever and develop really clever skills and abilities to keep them and their siblings safe and to um, manage certain situations and um, know if it's kind of safe to talk to someone else or not or find refuge in, in small space, spaces of their lives. Um, and are incredibly good at bouncing back from situations, which is incredibly reassuring, I guess, that that's possible. So, yeah, I've seen a lot of, um, it's a bit of a commonly used word, but resilience in children that, um, you know, have been through incredible harm, that they, they still can get through that. That was Erin Morgan, Philip Martin and Joe Allen from Uniting Communities Specialised Family Violence Service, talking about what they've come to understand through meeting with children and families about how family violence affects the lives of children. Of course, violence perpetrated by a father also has significant impacts on the relationship between mothers and their children. Erin and Sarah discuss. What we find is that when I'm speaking with a woman about her relationship with her children, often something that comes up very commonly is issues around how the violence is impacting on her ability to care for her children, so to parent them. It's going to impact on mum's capacity, so she might be struggling and so she might be quite punitive in her discipline of her children or she might be overly protective. Um, so she'll be making decisions all the time shaped by living in a climate of fear. And so I think it's important to remember that um, domestic and family violence does not only just impact on the adults in the family, it'll impact on parenting and it impacts on children um, that are witnessing and experiencing the violence, but also the parenting that's being affected and shaped by the violence. It's often affecting the bond that she has with a child, and that can be a deliberate mechanism as part of the violence and abuse that's being perpetrated, either when the parents are together or even when they leave. And so often for women, even years and years after leaving a violent relationship, she might have, you know, one child, two, three, and is having significant difficulties in her relationship with those children. Having conversations with parents about how family violence is affecting their children is important for a number of reasons, including ensuring that children are visible in conversations with parents, as well as providing a foundation for collaborating with parents around responding to their children's mental health and social and emotional well-being. I don't think I can work with people unless I collaborate with them because otherwise I become uh, another person just telling uh, a mum or a dad um, the best way to bring up their child or um, how to parent. Um, and that's, uh, I think, is profoundly unhelpful because there are no rule books about bringing up children. We know there are certain practices that have bad effects on children. We know violence and um, abuse can be potentially very damaging for children. But telling people that isn't going to help because they actually know it. They actually know that if you're screaming around your kids and then um, your child starts wetting her bed, then they, they know that something there is going on. And so the best way to do that is really to collaborate with them, is really to work with them and alongside them to find out from them what they think is working and why, and what they think is not working and why, and to be exploring with them those sorts of questions, you know, what, what they think. So we work here from a very child-focused and child-inclusive way. So that means that our minds 
are always on where are the children in this, where, where is the children's voice in this uh, scenario, in this experience. That doesn't necessarily mean we'll ever meet with the children, um, but it means that we will inquire about how all this is affecting the children. But I'm very keen to do that in different ways if I'm inquiring with men or I'm inquiring with women because I think I want to be really careful that I'm not adding to a sense of responsibility or mother blame if I'm asking women in particular about the effects this violence and abuse is having on her children. If she's in a situation where she feels that she's unable to leave or unable to do anything to protect her child. So as Erin highlights, these conversations are not without their challenges and dilemmas, of course, and these vary depending on the family's circumstances, as well as we are talking to the father who is using violence or the mother who is being subjected to violence. For most people with children, they want to feel that they're doing the best. That's a very hard thing because when you're a parent, there's always a sense that you're getting it wrong and you're not, you're not doing it well enough. But when there's violence and there's abuse around, I think that gets amplified. It gets amplified for men in a way that shame can often come into the picture and can have them minimising their behaviour and can have them denying aspects of their behaviour that are having effects on their children. And it can have mothers feeling very ashamed that they're the ones responsible for the effects on their children. They're the ones responsible for their partner's or ex-partner's behaviour because they're not being a good enough mother or a good enough partner. Yeah, and that's when the whole idea of mother blame comes in and is well supported when people will say to women still, um, well, why don't you just leave? You know, why don't you just pick up the kids and go? Why don't you stand up to him? Or why don't you call the police? Or why don't you do all sorts of things that women um, do or don't do because they know from past experience what's safe and what's not safe to do and the best way they possibly can to keep themselves and their children safe. So yeah, those things come into the picture a lot for people and makes it difficult for them then to disclose violence because they, they know that um, certainly out in public and through the legal system that they will be judged for that. A lot of women will say, this is my fault, I should have left earlier. If I'd done something to protect the children earlier, then they wouldn't be like this. When what I know is that there's very good reasons that she's not been able to do that. And so by um, eliciting some of those reasons and assisting her to make a bit more meaning about why she would have stayed when other people would have told her to leave or she's now thinking that she could have left, can get her to a position where she can start to think a bit more critically about the situation she's been in and assign the responsibility where it's due. That then makes it much easier for her to be then talking about the effects that she's noticed with her child because she can become much clearer that it's not been her fault, it's not been her responsibility in terms of what's been happening. Because a lot of women I talk to are used to being blamed 
It's if you'd left earlier, then your son wouldn't be like this. You should stand up to him and then these things wouldn't have happened. And women start to believe these things. Um, they start to take on these stories, these ideas that they're failures as parents. And if you have a sense that you're a failure as a parent, the last thing you want to be talking about is some of the things that you think are wrong with your, with your child because you think it's something that you've done and it's your responsibility. So if a practitioner is hearing from a mother that she is blaming herself for the effects of violence on her children, what may be important is to be contextualising those reasons to make visible what she's been up against and therefore ensuring the responsibility for the effects of the violence on her and her children is attributed to the parent perpetrating it. Megan Hughes, Executive Manager Strategic Projects at Women's Safety Services SA believes this is vital. We have much higher expectations of parenting for mothers than we do of fathers. Really, in a sense, they're not asked to be responsible for any of the behaviour that they've been using, power and control, using those things in the relationship and the impact that that has on families. But we expect mothers who have been exposed to violence and abuse to take complete responsibility for what's happening to the child. So I think it's really important in our conversations, if we want to have real conversations and get to what is the impact on children, uh, we have to share responsibility. We have to decrease the responsibility that she's taking for that and we need to talk about well what's been the impact of violence what have those children seen that you feel worried worried about to talk to her about that this is this is damaging but it's not irreversible that your relationship with those children is really important you've got a lot to offer them so what else can support practitioners to have conversations with mothers about the effects of violence on their children without making them feel responsible for the violence? The focus obviously is, is always on the well-being of the child, but um, often women that I've spoken to in these situations, in DV situations, have been so traumatised themselves that they need some preparation, they need some time to have their story heard so that we can start making sure that their children are safe. But if someone's really traumatised and we know the children are potentially being traumatised as well, we've got to take care about the children but we've got to take care about the mums as well because otherwise they're in no position to be able to even act on their their children's behalf let alone their own behalf and so it's about caring for them as well as as ensuring that that the kids are safe i think all all those supportive questioning about her own experience of you know what it's been like for her i think other things too, so looking at, at the effects on the children, but looking at the responses that she's made. So when she says to me, um, I just feel so guilty or I feel so bad that I've let this happen or I've not been able to keep my children safe, then I ask her questions about specific situations. So I'll ask for an example of um, when there was a violent incident. 
And she might say something like, well, you know, uh, my partner was yelling or he was punching walls and I stood there and I did nothing. And I'll say, well, why, why did you stand there and do nothing? And she'll say, well, because I knew if I did anything, it would make things worse. And so then I'll ask her about that as a response. You know, how did she know to stand there and do nothing? You know, how did she know that that would keep her safe? safer and the children safer if she did that and she'll be able to tell me from past experience that she's learned if she does certain things it'll make things worse and if she does certain things it'll make it a little bit easier it won't stop the violence because that's not within her ability to stop the violence um, she's not capable of doing that but she's looking at ways of minimizing the effects of her partner's violence on her and the children and she does it in the maybe the tiniest of ways that she doesn't even notice and so I'm going to ask her about a lot of those to bring those forth so that she starts to get a picture of herself as a supportive nurturing caring mother in the face of all this violence and abuse. That's Erin Morgan from Uniting Communities. You've heard Erin emphasising an interest in understanding a mother's own experience of her partner's violence, and particularly how she's been responding to the violence. The efforts, big and small, noticed and unnoticed, that she has made to minimise the impact of the violence on herself and her children. According to the Family Violence Practitioners, what also sits alongside this when having conversations with mothers about the effects of violence on their children, is also to be having conversation about what's important to them as parents, the values and the hopes they hold as they parent their children. I'm asking questions about what sort of parent are they hoping to be for their child and then getting them to articulate some of their hopes for um, their parenting and to ask them questions like, you know, when their, their child gets to five years time or 10 years time or when their child grows up and they look back on their, their, their mum or their dad, you know, what, what would they want them to be thinking or saying about their relationship with their mum or their dad? And to, to really get them to think about, you know, how they want to be viewed as a parent by their child and how they want to be able to view themselves as a parent, the sorts of things they would like to be able to say about themselves that, you know, I was a good listener for my, for my children and um, I was able to be patient with my children and, um, you know, I spent time reading with them or any of the things that might be important to them that they see in a parenting role and to then support those ideas and to get stories about when those things have been easier to do and when they've been harder to do, you know, what's got in the way of being able to be the sort of parent they want to be and what's when, when of the times when it's been easier to be the sort of parent they want to be. I think um, women are usually pretty proud and happy to step into talking about their preferences as parents and often in hearing those stories we then hear about um, the things they're not so happy with and the things that are robbing them of the kind of parenting practices they want to be using. So it might be a less direct way of hearing about their strengths and then also the things that are letting them down around them. And then in hearing those stories I guess we can evaluate with them if they're up to it and wanting that and um, what kind of effects they're happy with or less happy with. 
and what that means what's the meaning of that in, in having shared that those ideas what, where are, what are their initial thoughts about what they want to see change or be different or are they happy with if things stay the same like this for a long time what's at stake and are they kind of okay with that or not is he involved in wondering about these things too so bringing him into her awareness all the time and, and so that it's not the focus isn't all on what she's doing that was Erin and Joe from Uniting Communities. We asked Erin about the role a strengths-based approach takes in their conversations with parents around the impact of family violence on their children's mental health and wellbeing. I wouldn't say that I use a strengths-based approach, and that, that may sound a bit odd for some people who would be listening to this, but I think it's to do with, um, when I think of a strengths-based approach, I think about us uh, identifying strengths with people. Um, and, and of course, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I guess from my perspective and the way I work, I'm keen for people not to see themselves as being a particular way. So to give you an example, if uh, I'm talking with a woman and she's been able to get out of a violent relationship and take her children with her, and then she identifies that that took courage to do that, then that's good. She's identifying that it took a lot of courage and how she was able to do that when she was feeling um, really frightened about what might happen. Now, a strengths-based approach would see her as courageous. Whereas what I'm talking with her about is her ability to find courage in that instance. And so if we were to start talking about her as a courageous person, it's an essentializing idea and it's fraught with danger because, so let's say she starts to see herself as a courageous person and then maybe he finds out where she lives and he comes around and he stalks her and she's terrified and maybe he takes the kids and she's absolutely terrorised by this. And then what happens is she starts to think, well, I thought I was courageous, but clearly I'm not courageous because look what happened. I, you know, so I'm not a courageous person at all, I'm a coward. Whereas if we look at each instance of things and we look at the strengths that people use, so she uses courage, but in that particular instance, what would have happened if she'd used courage? How might that have affected the situation? Well, you know, it might have got her killed or it might have got the children harmed or anything else might have happened. So it's a, it can be a subtle distinction for some people, but it's a, quite a developed one in the work that we do here. So we don't get people to think in terms of these as some sort of characteristics or traits. But, you know, people can use courage and they can use it at one time, but they may not use it at another time. And that then doesn't take anything away from them because it's a choice about whether you would use courage or not use courage. You've listened to the first of a series of two podcasts on the topic of family and domestic violence and child aware practice with family violence practitioners, service leaders and researchers. In the next episode of this series, we will be considering other aspects of this work including possible entry points into conversations about children's well-being with mothers experiencing family violence and fathers who are using violence. We'll also be looking at themes of safety, complexity and organisational support. Thank you for listening. 
Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds, and delivered in partnership with the Australian Institute of Family Studies, the Australian National University, the Parenting Research Centre, and the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.